Welcome to our first episode of Listening In, Sounding Out. My name is Emily. I'll be hosting this show today and speaking to a fellow classmate of mine in music and development, Raylan Yunt. And I'm very excited to commence this series with him. We'll be speaking to a variety of different researchers, musicians, students, professors from our department or anybody who's involved in our department. And um, I really think it's important to get the news and the word out of what's going on and what's happening and possibly spark some new collaborations or new ideas. So that was the first track off of Raylan's new EP called Sun. Um, came out on the 22nd of November mm-hmm. and is a fantastic five-track EP. Could you maybe speak a little bit about that first track we just heard? Thank you. So the first track is Thunder After the Drought, Han Tian Lei, and it's a well-known Cantonese melody that was adapted for Yang Qin by Yan Lao Lie. Um, and one thing I like about it is that... Um, as you can tell from the title, it sort of portrays this image of a scene in nature. Um, and in it, it's programmatic, and a lot of Chinese music is programmatic, which means it tells a story, um, or there's like a specific image behind it. And in this one, you can sort of hear a moment of delicate drizzle, and you can hear these powerful claps of thunder, and there's this kind of joyfulness um, that comes with hearing thunder after a long period of drought. That's beautiful. I'm really excited to talk to you because honestly, you're one of the most charming (laughs) classmates we have. There's nobody who has more positive input about anything that ha- that is being said in class than you wow honestly. <laughs> that's i'm very honored thank and you sometimes so much. we all feel really bad because <laughs> when you say something we also want to give back something <laughs> as positive and as and as energetic as you do we never do <laughs> <laughs> no i've been having such a great time i love yeah. all of our classmates raylan what brought you to soas well um i was lucky enough to get a scholarship called the Marshall Scholarship that's right. for UK universities. And when I was applying, I was looking for programs that I thought would fit me well. And I came across music and development. Um, I was drawn to it because in my undergrad, I had done environmental science and public policy, but I'd been doing music all of my life. And I saw this program as something that could sort of integrate these two sides of myself. So the environmental mm-hmm. focus as well as music. Right, like thinking about sustainable development um, and and music together. And so it was really the program that was what initially drew me here. And mm-hmm. then as I learned more about SOAS's culture, um, I figured that that would also be something I would enjoy. And so um, I chose that program yeah. uh, whenever I was applying for the scholarship. All right. So had you trained music um, as a hobby or was just explain like how you were exposed to music and also yeah. what you play? Sure. Yeah. So um, I play traditional and contemporary Chinese music on the Yang Qin, also known as the Chinese hammered dulcimer, percussive string instrument. I would say it was kind of between a hobby and professional. So I practiced very seriously uh, from a young age, starting uh, when I was seven. 
How were you exposed to the instrument? So I went to a bilingual school in San Francisco, California, called the Chinese American International School. And in third grade, my music teacher, Miss Kennedy, brought in a group of musicians. Um, It was an ensemble called Melody of China to play for us and to introduce after-school Chinese music classes. So that's where I started taking lessons. Um, So you... You discovered it at the school. It wasn't your family or your... My family was very encouraging of it. Mm. So my mom is Chinese. I have a lot of family in China. And my mom and my dad were excited about me playing this. And it was very popular across the class. I think a bunch of people picked up the instruments. All right, so you weren't the only one. I wasn't the only one, but then by eighth grade, there were only five of us still playing. It's probably pretty intense to stick to it. Yeah, yeah. it's a big commitment. and uh, other people ended up picking up Western classical instruments. But I was lucky because I was able to keep studying with those teachers in San Francisco. There were competitions and exams that were held in San, in the San Francisco area and lots of performance opportunities. So mm-hmm. I felt that I was given all these opportunities to develop as a musician. So I pursued that as a pretty serious extracurricular throughout high school and in college, kept it up and started doing more professional gigs. Were you traveling between China and the States at this point? Like sometimes, while you were growing up? Yeah, so on average, maybe every other year, mm. kind of loosely, um, to see family. And then for three different summers, two in high school and one in college, I went to study at the Central Conservatory in right. Beijing with um, a professor named Huang He. And how was that in contrast to your education in the States? It so. was great. I think the biggest difference, which was also the most inspiring part of studying in Beijing, was the fellow classmates. Um, Professor Huang's students are so amazing. Um, And they've been, they've been playing Yangqin as their main thing um, in a conservatory setting for the major, the most of their life. And so they're incredibly skilled and, um, I basically hadn't had peers who were advanced in Yangqin before, and so to to hear them play was so inspiring to me. I had I had role models and um, probably pushed you a lot. They pushed me a lot, yeah. So I I had the privilege of um, going with them to uh, an international competition in um, Balto in Inner Mongolia, and. turned out that I was the first American to compete professionally at Yangqin in China. Um, And I got to go with this group that ended up being... His students usually do the best at these at these competitions. I was I was lucky I did get a silver prize. That's incredible. Thank you. It was the first time seeing so many Yangqin players in one place. Like I remember when I was walking to the competition building I heard this really loud kind of raucous noise and it sounded like some kind of feedback or some kind of really metallic and industrial kind of drone and I didn't know what that sound was and then I walk into my room and it's 30 kids playing Yangqin at the same time all layered on top of each other and it that would make an interesting so soundscape moving. as well. Yeah, it, I mean, it was really loud, um, but it was it was very moving because I'd, I'd literally never seen that many Yangqins before, like in one place. How old are you at this point? That was when I was 
Um, let's see, it was 2014. Yeah, so I was Three 19. Years ago. All right. Yeah, I was 19. Okay. And uh, at this point, you also spoke the language. Or did you yeah. grow up speaking? Yeah, so I spoke with my mom when I was little, and I studied um, a lot at this bilingual school. All right. And I also took classes in high school and college. Right. So, um, so language was never. Yeah, no, it, it was not a barrier. Thankfully. Okay.
So you just heard 3-6, which is the second track off of Sun, Raylan. Could you do us the honors? Yeah, so 3-6, or San Liu, uh, is a folk piece that was adapted for Yangqin by Xiang Zuhua. Um, And it's one of the eight core pieces in the silk and bamboo canon. Um, The silk and bamboo style of music originated in Jiangnan and consists chiefly of repertoire for plucked string and bamboo wind instruments. And this style of music has deeply influenced the development of contemporary Chinese music. Thank you. Um, So you really have that nature element in all of your music. In a lot of it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about then in um, in relation to environmental studies? Did mm. you ever use the Yangqin to convey mm. a message about climate change or environmental topics? Not yet. Yeah, I it was those two pursuits, music and environmental studies, mm. were pretty separate through right. during college. Um, it's only now that you are. Yeah, and so now it. I'm really thinking about what are the cultural aspects mm. of um, sustainable community building and. What are the cultural conditions we need to build sustainable communities? What are the value systems and worldviews that um, artists and other cultural leaders can help shape that will um, kind of aid and and move forward the environmental movement or the mm. sustainable development movement? Yeah. And and how does how how can um, people use imagination and feeling? Um, to inform sustainable development, which is typically a kind of top-down governed process. Um, Like, how do we think about um, grassroots ways of of building those sustainable communities? Um, And it's still a a big question, um, and I don't know exactly how I want to fit into it, um, but... I'm learning a lot in in our course so far. Um, I'm learning about acoustic ecology, which I think is an interesting intersection Mm -hmm. between music and environmental studies. Um, And so I'm excited to to learn more and hopefully find the right kind of um, niche for me to move into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it must also be really interesting in context of China. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Industrialization and... Absolutely. Like you said, this bottom-up approach of... Um, I don't know. Are you thinking about using music as an educational tool mm. to kind of inform about about climate change? Or? I definitely think, you know, that's a very important way that music can um, Utilize create yeah. social change. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would love to do that at some point if the opportunity arises. I've mm. um, done a little bit of teaching um, and like I was an assistant teacher um for an after-school music class in high school and i taught at the youth music culture guangdong conference um in guangzhou this january with the silk road ensemble um and so i've had a couple of opportunities (laughs) to do a little bit of teaching and i'd love to learn how to teach more um and 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 also see how music would play into that
That was spring arrives on the Qing, Qing River. Yeah. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, so Chun Dao Qingjiang, Spring Arrives on the Qing River, was composed by the Shanghai native Liu Weikang, and it's a modern piece that draws on folk motifs and. Um, one thing I like about it is that it really displays the beautiful pentatonic melodies characteristic of a lot of traditional Chinese pieces. Um, the Qing River is a tributary of the of the uh, Changjiang, the Yangtze River, that runs through the Hubei province of South Central China. So, are these all tracks that you were introduced to in the process of your training and education? Mm-hmm. Are these traditional Chinese pieces? Yeah, these are classical pieces um, that a lot of people who study Yangtze will learn at one point or another. Um, so, I've been playing them for several years, and um, I, you know, I, I thought it was about time for me to share them with yeah. with people. So that's so, why I recorded them. Fellow Yangqin players will yeah. definitely recognize these tunes. Definitely, yeah. and um, so you must feel really comfortable when you play them. Almost mm. like they must really kind of speak through you because you've been practicing them for so long. Yeah, no? I think that's a great way of describing I it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they've been in my body for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, it does feel comfortable to play them. So. All throughout your life, mm. you've been playing classical Chinese music, but mm-hmm. you've also been working on some fusion projects mm-hmm. or some more contemporary music. What about you? Yeah. Like, what's your personal interest musically? Are yeah. you into Chinese music as much as you are into per- practicing and performing mm. it? Mm-hmm. Or do you listen to other things or do you work on other projects? Yeah, I love those questions. Um, I, I love listening to classical Chinese music. Um, there is always a there is a part of me that's sort of thinking as the performer whenever I'm listening to Yangqin recordings in particular. So when I don't want to be thinking as a performer, I listen to a lot of other things. Um, More relaxing. Like, yeah, I, I really like indie pop, kind of alternative um, genre of music. And Have you ever used the Yangqin in that context? Yeah, so in high school, I have great, great music teachers, David Williamson and Loretta Duncan, who created opportunities, created ways for me and my friend Krista, who played the guzheng, to um, join ensembles that were made up mostly of like Western sort of pop mm-hmm. instruments, like guitar, drum kit and stuff. So we played in the school musical. We um, were in, a, we did an ensemble piece that was a Venezuelan folk song. Like we kind of, moved brought our sound into different um into different genres and it was really fun i think it opened a door that is still open today um and one of my main personal projects this year is to try songwriting with my instrument because i think the yangxin is harmonically very versatile Mm -hmm. and um can create very rich textures and it's a percussive instrument um and so there's a lot you can do with rhythm and so i'm curious about um how how to play it in a way that accompanies voice mm-hmm. and it's a completely different way of playing it accompanying your own voice or someone yes else's well i would love to do both so yeah. um playing and singing at the same time is a challenge it's really yeah. fun but it's it, it's hard so i have to practice but mm-hmm. um i have uh, accompanied other people singing before, so I've covered songs before. And um, would you be singing in English or would you be singing in Chinese? Um, probably both. Yeah. Eventually, um, I think that it's it's definitely 
I might start with English and then I might have some songs that will incorporate both. Yeah. Um, we'll see. That's exciting. So, but Thank you're you. also, you're taking composition and performance, yes, I'm aren't taking, you? Yeah. Those so are we'll all be able concerts. to see you perform at the, yeah, end the, yep. um, the end of the year. That's the goal. Yeah.
So that was track four of Sun, called Joyous. Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Could so you tell us a little bit about this song. Yeah. So Huanle the Xinjiang Joyous Xinjiang um, was composed by Zhou Deming, and it's a piece that pays tribute to the lively music of Uyghur communities in the Xinjiang province of Western China. Um, the I think the rhythm of it really evokes um, scenes of communal celebration. And there's also this beautiful kind of this lyrical slow section that I find very sentiment, sentimental. Um, and it sounds very different than a lot of the other pieces. I think the, the tonality, the harmony of it is different. Mm. And um, it's actually reminiscent, I think, of um, Central Asian melodies. And I think it's a testament to how porous the boundaries between China and other countries are um, closer to the Silk Road region. Mm. Just touching back on the Silk Road Ensemble, yes. could you talk a little bit about the group and also like your experience with them? And yes. Like what musical worlds did they introduce you to? Yes, I would love to talk about them. So they are my heroes, basically. Yeah. Um, I first encountered them um, in high school via YouTube um, when I saw um, their performance of a, of a piece called Ascending Bird. Um, and... I was just really blown away by how seamlessly they brought together Chinese instruments and, um, you know, the Japanese shakuhachi with Western classical instruments. So um, for some who might not know, yeah. who are the Silk Road Ensemble? Like? So the Silk Road Ensemble is a multicultural um, music group founded by Yo-Yo Ma in about like uh, 19 years ago, I want to say. Right. And they have, they've, They've played on a lot of um, prestigious world stages. Um, they they bring together musicians who are sort of at the top of their respective music cultures. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, um, Wu Man and Wu Tong are a pipa player and a singer slash sheng player, respectively, who are very, they're world renowned. They have Christina Pato, who's the Galician bagpipe player. Um, and then they have... Uh, string players who uh, are also um, incredibly well known talented, and talented, yeah. and, and and so the group isn't fixed. It's dynamic. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. dynamic. It's pretty. It's kind of um, a, a collective of, of a lot of different musicians, mm -hmm. and um, each performance is a different configuration. Um, and they're all. I think what kind of unites the group is is a sense of open-mindedness and a, and a very loving approach to doing music it's very warm whenever you're in the rehearsal room people are very huggy like nice. and i, very I, I familiar think familiar atmosphere yeah, yeah and i think because their music involves putting aside their um putting aside a lot of conventions because everyone comes from a different set of conventions a different music culture there it requires a certain chillness and a certain yeah. um, open-mindedness that really comes through. Um, Just letting the music kind of be the glue between everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of there's a certain humility, I think, that comes with um, learning music from a different, from a tradition that's different than yours. Yeah. Um, but there's also a playfulness that I really appreciate about, about um, their music-making process because... It began really as an experiment, um, like you know, what happens when we put these instruments that don't typically go together, mm -hmm. together? What, what what happens when we put them together? And um, 
so I think every, everyone in the group is very innovative and also just happy to try new things yeah. and and do so in a very thinking beyond conventions or maybe yeah <laughs> yeah not overthinking the I don't know, cultural faux pas they could make yeah yeah, yeah not overthinking yeah. too much and um definitely being very committed to skill and quality yeah. and everything but um but also kind of letting go uh there being a certain amount of like freedom um and and flexibility in an actual performance so yeah i basically had the good fortune of getting to s collaborate with them at harvard when i was a s um, junior kind of i like took a semester off yeah um and uh or i played a trio with woman and um haruka fuji the percussionist um a chinese piece called yao zu wuqu uh yao dance or dance of the All yao right. tribe and the Yao tribe are the Yao tribe is a um, one of the ethnic minorities within China. Um, so it's a piece that's inspired by the folk music of, of that community. Right. And that sort of began a, a, a series of collaborations that I've done with them. And it was just it's been so inspiring working with them. I think they've they've taught me so much. And I'm just so grateful that I've gotten to to work with them. And um, do you continue yeah. to work with them? So yeah. So I you like part of a network now. Um, yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I I I sort of um, per have had the chance to perform with them here and there. And the last time was um, in June. We did a couple of performances in Boston and New York. And then we have to add as well that the Silk Road Ensemble was rewarded a Grammy, they right? They were, For yeah. the Best World Music best Album? Best World Music Album, yeah. yes, this this Incredible. February. It's <laughs> Must so be an surreal. unbelievable feeling. Yeah, to get to be there. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was a featured artist. I got to play on one track, St. James Infirmary, and um, the the ensemble was nice enough to let me go along with them to the ceremony i, mean, I yeah i know I mean, it's an, an incredible moment but still it I was mean, yeah and to get to go on stage and of that yeah to of experience. that really beautiful piece that's an incredible piece thank you an, an astonishing vocalist rhiannon giddens yes. yeah she's she's incredible um Love to play that yeah yeah, yeah please do yeah. um yeah it was a very surreal experience i think also just because you know, I didn't really have an orchestra that I got that I could be a part of growing up. Um, it was really moving to me to be in a setting with so many musicians mm. who really were like music is everything, and you could feel that energy in the audience because this is this is like a world unto its own, and like yeah. a, and it um, that itself I think was really inspiring. Um, to get to, just to get to be in that environment.
about the song that you participated with uh, the Silk Road Ensemble? Yes, yeah. So St. James Infirmary Blues is a, a blues classic. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of, you know, like an American folk song, mm. really. And this is an arrangement by the accordionist Michael Ward Bergman. And he had um, played this piece, this song, with a, a, a Roma band. And there's a, a symbolum in in the band, which is a, a hammered dulcimer. All right. And um, he made an arrangement that drew from the spirit of, of that band playing this this song. And so um, we kind of recreated that vibe in the studio, in MSR Studios in New York. Mm. Um, and I, I like it because it's, it's a very different take on a, this classic song. Um, it has a... Um, like a seven four sort of rhythm, and there's a part in the towards the end when it kind of goes off the rails a little bit, mm. and there's some incredible improvisations by by the Silk Road Ensemble musicians. So to get to be a part of it was totally a dream come true. Yeah, yeah, and we we performed it at um, TED 2016 in Vancouver on the main wow. stage too, which was fun. Thank you so much, Raylan, for joining us in the studio. Thank you. It was really inspiring to hear your story. Um, and I really, really look forward to see how you blossom creatively at SOAS. And really, really looking forward to hearing your performances. Mm. And hope you enjoy it here and hope to see you back in the studio. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you. it. So that's it for us, dear listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's been a great, great pleasure. And before we go, we'll hear one last song off of Raylan's EP. And we hope to be back on air really soon with more interesting stories from the music department. So this piece, um, The General's Command, or Jiang Ling, it's a very ancient melody. It's um, from the Tang Dynasty, and it's endured through oral tradition. And it was adapted for Yang Qin by Li Xiaoyuan and Xiang Zuhua. Um, in the Sichuan Yangqin style. Um, and this I, this is another programmatic piece. Um, so it's almost like each section is a different scene of mm. a story of um, people going to battle. So in the very first introduction, you hear these ro the rolls of the battle drums, and then you hear one sort of melody that gets repeated and echoed as if the general is giving his commands and the soldiers are repeating it mm -hmm. um, and passing it along. And then as the piece gets more intense, you, you there's a section where the dynamic is very soft, but it's very fast. So it's kind of like the stealth and agility of a soldier's expeditions. And then finally it all culminates in this ferocious battle. Wow. <laughs> so how old would this piece be? Um, let's see. Yeah, over a millennium. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, um, I, I'm not sure exactly yeah. how long, 
but uh, it's there are versions of it on on most Chinese instruments. Oh, right. yeah.